This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast, Working Drummer. Today my guest is musician, songwriter, and producer Joe Gilder. Joe is the creator of Home Studio Corner. Home Studio Corner is a website, it's a YouTube channel, it's even a podcast where you can go learn everything there is to know about creating a great home studio. Joe's created thousands of pieces of content with videos, articles, training courses, and much more. In addition to Home Studio Corner, Joe has worked for Sweetwater. He is the go-to pro for Personas. He's also worked as the music director for some local churches here in Nashville. If you're interested in supporting what Zach and I do here at the podcast, you can become a Patreon member. Find us at patreon.com slash working drummer. Any donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content that's provided by our former guests. This content covers a variety of topics, but it's all educational and applicable to the working professional. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can make a one-time donation through PayPal, and you can find links to both of these things on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. And while you're there, you can find out more about this episode and the over 300 episodes that we've done over the years. And no matter what your platform of choice is for listening to podcasts, giving us a like, a rating, and review always helps us grow. So I met Joe a couple years ago through a mutual friend, and after speaking with him briefly, I thought, man, you've got to come on our podcast and talk to our community about all the things you know, and you'll hear that he's he's got a voice for podcasting. I'm, I'm super jealous. He does such a great job. Go to his websites, homestudiocorner.com. Check out his YouTube page. Uh, he does a, a little bit of podcasting here and there, if, if that's your... Uh, content of choice. Uh, I encourage you to check that out. But um, the timing is just perfect because I think a lot of us are just getting started with our home studio with everything that the last few years has brought us. So the fact that uh, we can get together to do this episode uh, was just perfect and great. And I really appreciate his time and hope you enjoy this conversation with Joe Gilder. So I am a musician, songwriter, producer, audio engineer, and studied that in college, worked at Sweetwater for a few years, uh, selling gear, and while I was there, I would meet a lot of customers who had a lot of questions about simple things like setting up a reverb or how to record this or that, and since I was in sales, I couldn't spend long, drawn-out conversations on the phone teaching them how to use the stuff I needed to go sell something. So I started a kind of a little blog to write, just write some articles on answering some of those com- common questions, which turned into making some videos showing how to do different things. And that was back in 2009. Wow. And um, yeah, it just, it kind of morphed into this thing that people seem to connect with where specifically talking to home studio crowds, because that was where I had my most experience of not working in Blackbird and doing big, huge major label sessions, but making records at home in bedrooms and apartments and things like that. Which is a big, obviously, you know, especially now, is yeah. a big, humongous area of need f- 
for people to learn how to do that and do it well because you can do it well because we know dozens and dozens of people here in Nashville who they may go to a big room to track some drums but they also might just do it in their space and right and we're talking to a lot of drummers that are getting great sounds yeah in their limited space Mm -hmm. but through all these techniques that they're making it happen yeah yeah for sure yeah so it just kind of turned into um I wrote more articles did more videos and people seemed to like it and that morphed into eventually seemed like people wanted me to create some sort of a more structured course for them to kind of go through learn production and recording and mixing and all that and so that's kind of what I've been doing ever since was was Sweetwater supportive when you were doing this? Yeah, yeah. it was. I mean, they, yeah, they were. They um at the time, like YouTube was a couple of years old. As I remember, I would work the late shift at Sweetwater, and get bored, and I would go. I was on like Waves website, the plugin company, and they had like two videos on mixing. I remember the two videos. Like this one was using a deesser on heavy guitars to make them less harsh. And I remember thinking that's a cool idea. Yeah. And then I wanted more, and that was it. So I was like, well, I guess I guess I could make some videos about stuff I know. Um, and so it just kind of happened. So it's it's a very different world now, but at the time it wasn't there weren't tons and tons of people doing it. It wasn't like I had this massive huge insight. I just was thinking, well, I know this, I'm gonna talk about this yeah. and see what happens. But yeah, they were cool about it. Uh, so what's your website now? Where where can people find it's, you? It's it's at homestudiocorner.com. Yeah. But probably the primary place is on my YouTube page. That's where you'll see gotcha. most of the interaction and the content. Yeah, there. yeah. There's a, a section of your website which is blog, and you go there, and there's just a really nice group of videos mm-hmm. uh, that is is just so easy to navigate. If you're kind of like, there's the YouTube page, which is, which is awesome mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. But I found myself just really soaking up as much of that video content mm-hmm. on that as you know, and 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 seeing what it is that I needed to know. You know, it's like. The, the the snare drum thing, mm-hmm. the, the kick drum thing, compression, mm-hmm. uh, th- those kinds of things. That was just, yeah. uh, you, you know, and it, I almost felt kind of guilty. Like I kind of know a little bit about you, but you know, always in doing my research on reading and you know, learning and watching videos and listening and stuff like that. But it's like, okay, I'm learning about what Joe does, but I'm also <laughs> learning a lot uh-huh. at the same time. Yeah, I mean, because a lot of it is just me in a lot of ways, kind of documenting stuff that I'm learning along the way, too, yeah. right? Yeah. Like You're like Marge Simpson teaching piano <laughs> lessons, always one page ahead of the student. Exactly. <laughs> That's the perfect analogy. Thank you. I'm going to steal that. But a better voice. <laughs> no. <laughs> I can't do Marge. Um, I mean, how did you get interested in doing this? It, I mean, not 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 in home studio corner, yeah. but like in 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 engineering and audio. Yeah. So it was. I was a grew up in a musical family. My mom was the pianist for our church, and we all sang in the choir. My dad played guitar. Um, no one did it professionally other than my mom playing at church. But um, I did the typical piano lessons thing. I picked up my dad's guitar when I was a teenager and taught myself how to play mm-hmm. off of like old country charts with the chord pictures and figuring out. I still play like a D chord backwards from most people because I didn't tell me which fingers to put where. It just said, put your fingers here. So I just put them where it made sense. And that's yeah. so stuff like that. Um, and then uh, I got into like a friend had a uh, his parents computer with a piece like Cakewalk Guitar Tracks 8 or something like an eight track recording software. And I was we were over there hanging out watching a movie, but I was off at the computer. This thing I'd never seen before, which was just 
mesmerizing, fascinating. You could re- just basic overdub recording that we all take for granted, but yeah, I had never seen it before. Yeah. Um, and that, so then I got, I got a copy and I start. I made a little, wrote some songs and made an album that just terrible, terrible recorded with that. Remember when computers used to ship with that little stick mic Yes. for, I don't know, dictation for your secretary to write your letters? I don't know why it was there, but... Mary, take a note. <laughs> exactly. You have to use the that 1950s was, voice. That was my studio yeah. mic. So like recorded my vocals, my guitar, piano, percussion, all on this little stick mic because I'm like, I have it. Didn't yeah. know any better. Um, and eventually it got into high school where I'm thinking about college and I'd heard the term music business. I didn't know what that meant, but I liked those words. So I just we still of, don't know what it means. <laughs> nobody, <laughs> no one can else. answer that question. So I ended up studying recording instead. Um, but yeah, I ended up looking into Nashville area. I grew up in Mississippi and landed at Middle Tennessee State where they've got this music business and recording production program. So I opted for the more fun one. I figured if we're going to do this, let's have fun with it. So yeah, learned audio and production and kind of just... That's where it really started to take off. That's awesome. Yeah. A, a friend of mine uh, and Mike's just retired from the Navy, 23 years, got some money to put towards education, and he's at MTSU no way. doing audio something, something. Yeah. It but, was really cool when I was there, and I, from what I hear, it's just insanely great now Yeah, as far as the facilities and the stuff they've got. So so tell me about kind of we, we, we had lunch, and we were talking about just, just – how you have to diversify just have many mm-hmm. plates spinning in this in this business yep. uh for most of us so you've got the home studio corner mm-hmm. you're engineering at a church or your music director yeah so i'm the music director like part-time music guy at my church so i'm leading the music every sunday and overseeing all the tech stuff um prepping all the services and things like that so, like, getting people to get more than just engineer, more than just put, like providing music, right. and, and so I don't I don't engineer because I'm up front. Yeah, but um, I'm I'm over the engineer and all the tech stuff. Figuring out live streaming during COVID was yeah oh fell gosh, on my yes. shoulders because we still met in a hotel ballroom and we okay. had to figure out how to live stream from there, which is really fun. Um, so yeah, and then planning all the services, scheduling everybody. So that's that's wow. one hat that I wear. Yeah. And then, and then, what else are you still are you doing anything? Well, you're doing stuff with Personas. Yes, so I'm also a Personas employee. So, okay. Personas is a company that makes uh, they make kind of everything now. But they started with audio interfaces, compressors, and things like that. But now we make everything from recording interfaces to studio monitors to recording software to digital mixers. We have one here um, to live sound PA speakers too. Um, so I came on with them late 2019 to be a, what am I? I'm technically a software product specialist, but I mm-hmm. basically do what I've been doing on my YouTube channel for them on their YouTube channel as well. So wow. creating content specifically around Studio One, which is the DAW recording software that they created about 10 years ago. That's become pretty popular in the space, um, especially in the home recording world. So I, I adopted it years ago because I just liked it better than Pro Tools at the time didn't really mean to switch i didn't have anything against pro tools it just Mm -hmm. i just used it and liked it and next thing i knew i was using it on everything and so that just developed a relationship with them that led to now i basically make content for them and for me from here just for a second i want to talk about pro tools just just for a second here Uh, like i mentioned my buddy's going to mtsu and he's Mm -hmm. like hey we're going to be working with pro tools and all this stuff and 
it, it seems like, and, and maybe there's just a myth around this, that Pro Tools was just chosen years ago and so became the standard. Mm-hmm. And there was a time when everyone had to have the same kind of operating system, mm-hmm. and that's just less the case now uh, as far as sharing files. and Yeah, it is less the case, but I will say just a couple of weeks ago, um, a mutual friend, not a mutual friend, that would be someone you know, a friend reached out asking if I would do a just a vocal session with her and another friend she's doing like a duet record stuff was recorded just needed a place to do vocals and ended up the engineer who's producing it is working in logic or pro tools mm-hmm. and i'm in studio one yeah and it kind of fell through they were like it's just not worth oh wow okay would, it would have it would have been simple to just share the raw files back and forth but they just opted to do it I th- i'm assuming unless they just haven't gotten back to me but i'm assuming they just opted to do it at a place that had the same software yeah 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 but no like did Personally, that just seem overwhelming to them to do that? I think? don't know. I don't know if it seemed overwhelming or if it was just I, I did. I wasn't talking to the engineer, so I was talking to the artist. So um, I don't know exactly what went down. Sure, sure. There's, I mean, there's a lot of folks who are just sending Pro Tools sessions back and forth, and that's yeah. how they work. Okay. Um, but I will say for my own music because I'm doing my own music all right. the time. Like you've you've interviewed Tim Horsley, yep. so he's in Digital Performer. Yeah. My brother-in-law who plays bass is in Reason. I'm in Studio One, and then my buddy Steve Peffer, who plays with Alabama, he's he was all in Pro Tools, at least at the time. And mm-hmm. I did a record where they each played at their home studios on it, four different softwares, and it's fine. It's just it's just audio files, so we would just send WAV files back and forth, drop them in, make sure everybody starts on bar zero. Yeah, There's really no, you can't really mess it up. There's just this culture around yeah. allegiance, you know, with, with, sure. with certain brands, you mm-hmm. know, whether it's, you know, the cymbals you play, the guitars, uh, the doll you use, and people were kind of just, you know, you know, just shouting its praises of mm-hmm. one doll over another or, or these other things. And, and uh, but now it almost comes down to just convenience, subscriptions, yep. mm-hmm. affordability. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost in, in some respects uh, with gear, the, the, Technology has allowed the, the, the more of a level playing field. Mm-hmm. Is that a safe assumption yeah. with technology? Yeah. Even from thinking about like whatever smaller, cheaper audio interfaces out there now, yeah. they're kind of, I don't know if this is technically true, but it feels like they've all gotten to a quality level that there's just, they're all about the same. Like yeah. they're all probably using the same chips, the same parts from China, just with a different color on the box, right? Yeah. So like they got kind of as good as they're going to get and they're great and they sound good. Yeah. They didn't maybe 10, 15 years ago, but they've advanced to where even the cheap stuff sounds pretty good. And then software-wise, yeah, I think, I mean, to me, when I first came on with Personas, we were, they were talking about, let's let's stop trying to get people to switch to Studio One and just offer it as another alternative. I'm going to assume you don't have just one snare drum. Right. Right. Same with me and guitars. I have two. No. And I'm, or I don't even, right, I have two. Um, and like with guitars, I have different brands of guitar. I don't just play Gibson, even though I like them. Um, so I don't feel that loyalty there. It's a little different with software because you got to spend a lot of time learning it. But um, at the same time, I've been playing with Ableton this year from mm. a completely different workflow than it is. a typical DAW, and it's fascinating and fun. Um, so I don't feel like I'm betraying Personas or anything like that. Yeah, um, but I do, point. I do, I did switch because Personas made things easier, mm-hmm. software-wise. Just little things they did that made me, just I can do this in one click here. It took me four clicks there, right? That kind of stuff. But um, but no, they all do the same thing, as much as they hate it when I say that. Well, and 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 I started with GarageBand, sure. you know, when we first started the podcast, and I had a, you know, I 
posted a picture on social media of me doing some editing, you know, years ago. And somebody was like, Garage Band, really? And I'm like, I'm interviewing, I'm doing two voices. Right. Does it sound good? Does it sound better than some other podcasts? It does. So, yeah. And, but I also had my tech guru, Mike Jackson, uh-huh. helping me out, getting it processed right, getting mm-hmm. the levels right, mm-hmm. getting it right from the beginning, yeah. getting the sound source right. Right. So, uh, but but there's a guy who uses Cubase, Reaper, mm-hmm. Logic, mm-hmm. a little bit of Pro Tools, you know, depending on what he's doing. And But he's doing commercial music, songwriting, uh, video editing, mm-hmm. you know, so all those, I think, have their strengths. Yeah, um, absolutely. What was, it, uh, what was the program you were talking about doing the loops uh, with? Ableton. Ableton. Mm-hmm. That's been real popular with... Um, touring drummers that mm-hmm. are playing tracks because mm-hmm. of what its strengths are. Yeah. You know. I, I think w- w- there are definitely things that work well depending on your workflow, your learning pace. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just this whole myth that, oh, this is superior because there's just so many people that just seem like they're pushing one thing over. Right. It's like, gosh, yeah. this, there's more more than one way Yeah, to there's it. plenty out there for everybody. Well, when you're creating content, say just for Home Studio Corner, mm-hmm. how do you decide where to, like, what to do? <laughs> Such a good question. Um, it it varies. I've gone through lots of different weird phases over the years. I tried doing a vlog at one point where I was like Casey Neistat showing my day, like daily video blog. Yeah, terrible idea. Um, but for the most part, I'm doing really responding to what I get from feedback from folks when they watch. So reading the comments, paying attention to where their questions are trying to come up with ideas I think will work for them, but the, their feedback really drives a lot of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where are they struggling? Where, what can I do that'll make their life better today? Mm-hmm. And like, if it's just, if they just see one piece of content, my buddy Graham used to say this, if they just see one of your videos, will it be a game changer for them? Mm-hmm. And trying to think that way, even though that's a lot of pressure, um, trying to just make something that's going to answer somebody's question and clarify a little bit. Because it's, it's complicated. You know, you get into, like you've talked about when you're getting into doing the podcast and suddenly this whole world of all this stuff that is now important to know and to learn and to figure out, um, people think of it as, you know, like I got Instagram, so I'm going to get into photography. <laughs> you know, yeah, I can do filters. My phone does that thing where it blurs the background, so I'm probably going to be good at photography, but obviously there's, there's more to it than that. Yeah. And then audio feels like, so many more layers of that. I just want to record a guitar vocal, yeah. but getting it to sound good is a is a challenge. And I think when it becomes a challenge, they go to YouTube to find answers, and hopefully that's where they find me, and I can kind of guide them a little bit, be their Yoda. But but your website provides more than just there's there's videos there. But like, tell me about how the membership <laughs> thing sure. works for people that mm-hmm. are really wanting to almost like go to school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of my a lot of my audience there's a there's a group that are maybe college age or so and they just are they aren't going to go fly down to Orlando and do full sale for 80 grand or whatever. That's yeah. not in the cards, but they want to learn this stuff in yeah. a less than just like a random YouTube video at a time Exactly, a lot exactly. To sort so through. it's almost you you're you're kind of like it, right there you you're not full sale, but this isn't just some casual thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's especially and and I've I've made I've made over 20 courses over the years and mm. retired most of them because I kind of figured out what works. But um, like right now, I offer a mixing course and a recording course, and they're in depth, slow. Like the the recording ones, like 
like 30 hours of content. Oh like my it's, gosh. which to a lot of people say, no, thank you. And I get that. Mm-hmm. But for the person who's like, I want to dive in, I want you to take me from, this is a mic we were talking about earlier. This is a microphone <laughs> all the way through to, we just finished recording a big rock band session kind of thing. Wow. Um, and all the questions that come up along the way, which is what made it so long is I had a roadmap of where I wanted it to go. But then we're doing drums, and then the phase comes up, and I'm like, ah, I gotta do a video about what phase is because that's yes, not yes, intuitive. Yes, um, and just that times every other topic that could come up. So yeah, it's a place for the small percentage of folks who want to dive in and go through kind of a structured mm-hmm. thing. That that's where that comes in. Gotcha. Yeah. And and I mean, what kind of people are are signing up for this? So it's it's like I said, some of the some of it's folks who maybe opted to do something like that instead of college. Yeah, they spend a couple hundred bucks versus several car cars worth <laughs> on an education um but a lot of them are there's a lot of weekend warrior um fo- empty nesters with some free time disposable income and they bought all this gear and it's they're about to sell it and go buy a boat right because it's not yeah coming together so yeah. it's it's kind of there's a bunch in that crowd that are trying to figure out how to do this and they've had careers and they just want to they just want to make some music it's so fascinating. I feel like that's it's almost been a little bit of our demographic as far as our mm-hmm. listeners. Sure. Uh, when I worked retail in Columbus and here at, well, not so much Nashville because I think it being such a music business town, but mm-hmm. but in but in Columbus and other, I think people find uh, you have uh, people that are young people that are just getting into music, getting discovering their passion mm-hmm. that you uh, interact with either with education, retail. Uh, content now mm-hmm. uh, and then you have uh, empty nesters yep. or you know people a little bit a little bit older with disposable income rediscovering their passion yep. absolutely so and also there's there's probably a good core of kind of in between but yeah they tend sure. to be quiet like I don't I don't leave lots of comments on other people's content when I consume it I'm the quiet like my wife and I we we consume a lot of content from people but they would never know we're there yeah and then it seems like the the older crowd are much more likely to write in emails, leave comments, interact, and ask questions yeah. um, as well. So there's that skews it a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's a big – there's kind of a – it makes sense speaking to all those groups because there's a lot of folks who've been playing in bands their whole life. Or I get lots of stories of I put the guitar down 20 years ago, had a family 30 years ago, yes. and now I picked it back up. Yes. And look how things have changed because <laughs> last time they had a guitar, they were using a you know a cassette recorder or they went to an analog tape studio right so right, right, the world right. has completely changed behind them yeah yeah man I, that's it's it's just the parallels it's just kind of understanding but but i get that where you're not going to have people interact so sometimes there's going to mm-hmm. be like people maybe you don't know are out there yeah that are, you know. so people can, they can go there they could sign sign up for the different courses mm-hmm. and kind of go through that you can also yeah it, it's it's so great man one of the thing and i'm gonna i'm gonna jump ahead here because I, I was going to ask, uh, maybe we'll get into this later about people that want to create content or yeah. I've got uh, some friends that have st- are starting podcasts yeah. and or have done podcasts, mm-hmm. so like creating content and you're kind of doing a little bit of, of it all, yeah. you know. You also have the podcast as well. I do. I retired it maybe last year, but yeah, I had done. Did you re- didn't you bring it? Wait, I did you, bring it back for a little bit. I go back and forth, but okay. I had a. I had a, just an Ask Joe podcast for several years, a weekly. Yeah. Uh, we would actually live stream it doing the podcast. Um, I just got, got kind of burnt out on it. but Gotcha. But yeah, many, many. It was a good place to answer questions. Questions that come in yeah. that maybe didn't make sense for a video or 
didn't want to do a big long reply via email, that was a great place to drop them. Easy content. I mean, I'm a fan of podcasts, uh, obviously. Mm-hmm. So it's like, so li- listening to yours was a, was a lot of fun. It just kind of like I could have it there. Yeah, I I, I was getting getting information that was kind of just while I'm multitasking. Mm-hmm. So that's 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 the thing that's great mm-hmm. about podcasts. So yeah. so that's as well. So what's the name of that that? Podcast? It was just Home Studio Corner. Home Studio podcast, Corner. So yeah. you can find it. Yeah, that, it's still there. That. Got gotcha, gotcha. There was something I wanted to watch the other day, and it was an older video that you had put out maybe seven years ago or okay. something like that. Uh-huh. And um, it was great. It was informational. It was all this stuff. And then there was another video I wanted to watch, and it looked like something you had done just like this year. Uh-huh. But your presentation, I, I, as a content creator, mm-hmm. as a podcaster, I should say, not a content creator, I was like, Wow, this is a little bit stronger. <laughs> yeah. Just as far as yeah. personality. Your personality came out. Yeah. The editing. Mm-hmm. Um, how intentional is that? Or how did that? That's a good question. I think a lot of that is just accidental happens along the way. Yeah. As you do it, right? Yeah. Um, like my very first video, I was like on lunch break from Sweetwater in my button down, <laughs> sitting in my apartment in Fort Wayne, Indiana with my laptop answering questions and I was real timid yeah and soft-spoken yeah. So, you know I didn't who am I to we all think that who am I to make content yeah right um I think over the years getting a little more comfortable being myself in little ways and um and consuming a lot of content too and taking kind of notes from what other folks are doing but I think it's just a natural evolution mm-hmm. um becoming you know like you probably the first episode you did on a podcast yeah. I'm gonna guess if we had your heart rate on a monitor trying to measure like how relaxed is this guy like not mm-hmm. not at all but now i'm assuming that's a lot different you can it's actually racing think right now <laughs> you can't see him right now he is drenched in sweat and kind of just shaking very salty <laughs> spicy tuna i told him not to have the spicy tuna <laughs> <laughs> but you know what i mean like or playing a show like right. when when you're in that zone and it's not you're not nervous about the crowd. You're just kind of doing your thing. That's yeah. kind of kind of how it feels at this point. It does feel that way. And when you see people uncomfortable on stage or in a performance setting, it's mm-hmm. uncomfortable to watch. Mm-hmm. But Great also, time. there's some levity and 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 there's like these happy accidents that happen, uh-huh. and you're almost playing into that. And you're like, you know, if you if you kind of say a word wrong, and you're like, why did I say that? You know, as opposed to, <laughs> oh, I'm going to edit that out. You, yes, you, you kind of find ways to interact and so the kind of the basis of of this topic was you know advice for content creators yes and uh, because you're doing it you're doing a killer job at it and i have a a a buddy of mine that i've gotten to know here that just started a new podcast Mm -hmm. and he would call me and we'd we'd interacted as far as advice and he called me recently he might be listening this (laughs) and he goes I feel like my co-host and I aren't on the same page all the time. Like I'm trying to like keep the conversation going and he wants to kind of goof around <laughs> and it's not always serious. And uh-huh. I'm like, that's good. Mm-hmm. That can be good mm-hmm. because we're not all trying to create, you know, Conan O'Brien's podcast. Sure. We're trying to get information across. It's mm-hmm. different, mm-hmm. but there's something that's inviting mm-hmm. about the looseness, this genuine personality thing that happens. Yeah, you know. And we were talking about comedians before, and yeah, 
I'm, I'm a huge fan of comedy and my co-host is a huge fan of comedy. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like if you're creating this content, don't feel like you have to be so, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, I think, I mean, everybody's different. Some people may love straight NPR content where you're just getting the facts and yeah. good stories, well-produced. And that's great. Some maybe that's, but for me and for a lot of people, I think, uh, like you, you were talking about how you've met some people who've listened to your podcast and how they feel like they know you. And yeah, and that's not because you did a podcast about you, right? You just shared information, but they get bits of you in the process anyway. Do, yeah. And that's a really, that's a really good thing. Yeah. Um. So back to what you said about not editing out the mistakes. That's kind of become a little bit of a mantra for me, especially with my paid courses. If I'm mixing a snare drum and I spend 10 minutes trying something and it sounds terrible, I leave that in the video yeah. to say, hey, wasn't that terrible? Boy, that sucks. Delete the plug and start again. Because And I, have, I literally could show you the comments of so many people say, I love that you showed all the mistakes you made. Because you get this, you know, everyone's going to think that you never miss a note. Mm -hmm. or a cue mm -hmm. or anything they're going to think i always know exactly where to put the mic and where to move the plug in mm -hmm. i don't mm -hmm. i've got more experience maybe than some people but and you're probably going to hit the notes right more often than not but it's seeing and some people will say i don't like that you leave those mistakes in there it seems unprofessional but most will say right. i love that now I, I feel like i can relate to you oh, he drops his pick in his guitar when he's playing too and has to spend five minutes shaking it to get the, you know, like, oh, that happens too and I leave it on camera even though some, anyway. But yeah, the overwhelming, I did. I used to do that unintentionally and I got so much overwhelming feedback of people saying, I love that you did that because now you're not this unattainable over here talent that I can't get to. You're just a normal idiot like the rest of us who just happens to be able to happens to know a little bit more about it than I do sure I think it builds community and it builds trust yeah. because you're really opening up yourself to that I mean it's like clearly you you understand this better than I do but uh it's not con it's not in the least bit condescending yeah and it's like I want to listen more I want to digest this more and I think our job isn't just to get information across it's to entertain in yes. the process entertainment is a huge I mean how how many billions of dollars are made every year just in entertainment? Talking mm -hmm. about comedy, they're not giving us in, the comedian's not giving me any useful information, in the sense of like he's I'm learning something. But Although Brian is. Regan did prepare me for middle age. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I love Brian Regan. We were just talking about him before, um, but yeah, I think there's this when I when I, I remember when I started Home Studio Corner, there were a handful of YouTube channels or podcasts doing something with audio and they were just at least for me ridiculously boring yeah it was kind of yeah, yeah. it was it was they all kind of it was weird they all seemed like they were from michigan they all kind of <laughs> had like a certain midwestern accent thing <laughs> and it was just very dry and very clinical like white paper type stuff yeah um and i didn't connect to it and i so i and i couldn't do that anyway like, but it, yeah when you first start though it's going to feel stiff yeah, and you're not going to yeah. be yourself just i would say just do it because it's going to be episode 100 when you, maybe you start to feel a little more comfortable, so just go ahead and. And I think too, one more thing yeah, on the yeah. the leaving the mistakes in. I think, I you can go too far in that direction too, to where, I found that when I'm making content, if I put more thought into whatever I'm going to make and planning, like right now, you've got notes and a clipboard. I mean, the clipboard's just boss, but you like that? I mean, <laughs> I might have to just keep it. Um, I've got a pencil for you too, by the way. Later. No, I got a really cool. Anyway, oh, okay. uh, I'm a pencil nerd. Anyway, 
Um, that's a whole other topic. But like I found when I can find that combination of it doesn't need to be perfect, but it needs to be there needs to be some effort behind it, if that makes sense. I've, I've gone through seasons where I just fire up the camera and just go mm-hmm. kind of wing it content. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's, there's still value there and it helps practice being kind of extemporaneous. But having some structure and a little scripting, a little planning of what this piece of content is going to do, I found in the last couple of years at least has been has been helpful too. When you prepare, mm-hmm. but you know you understand the content, mm-hmm. and in the in the time that I prepare, mm-hmm. whether it's writing a chart for a song, yep. making notes for a podcast interview, by the time I'm done, I almost don't need it. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, then you can just, and I think maybe when I was first starting, I had my questions, and I was like, okay, question two. You know, <laughs> to kind of get away from that. Yeah. As if you're in the middle of a session reading mm-hmm. a chart or yep. something, it's like, yeah, I see that. Mm-hmm. I've got eight bars of the of the verse. I don't need to look at the chart. I need to kind of keep my head up, uh-huh. especially a live gig. Is there cues? Yeah. Is there something that I just want to make sure that I'm not missing by having my head stuck in the chart? It's the same same yeah. idea. It's funny we keep talking about comedy, but I was maybe I was just dumb, but I was blown away that That's I just funny. I just kind of assumed that comedians were just coming up with stuff because they the best ones they really don't seem like they've done this joke before, right? It yeah. seems like they're, it's just coming off the top of their head, yeah. but a tremendous amount of planning and wording, like word choice and timing goes into yeah. every one of them and, and workshopping it and all that to where they come across as just genuine and funny. And I feel like the same way with content. And they're workshopping it in front of people. Yeah. You know, small clubs before uh-huh. they go on HBO. And, yeah. You know, in some respects, we're kind of workshopping it in front of the camera, mm-hmm. got a chance to go back and kind mm-hmm. of learn. So, yeah, that's great. I, I, I so appreciate it. There's, so I, I, we haven't really gotten into the, the, the technical stuff that I wanted to talk about so far, but I, but I think because, you know, the joke is, oh, everybody's got a podcast, everybody's got this, everybody's <laughs> got a YouTube channel. But, you know, there is a way to do it, you know, yeah. to kind of elevate yourself from the noise. And so if you're going to have, uh, we've, we've interviewed guys with great Instagram pages mm-hmm. and like, and, and some of the nuances as far as like camera angles and variety and content and, and quality mm-hmm. uh, helps. How do we do this stuff? Because this is a business model that you can follow mm-hmm. in some type of content creating that didn't exist 15 years ago. Absolutely. Now technology is allowing everybody to do it. Mm-hmm. We know how to make ourselves stand out as a player. Well, we try. Uh-huh. Uh, as an artist, but how do you, as a content creator, those same rules apply, mm-hmm. you know, as far as quality over quantity yeah. or says the guy that's putting out 350 <laughs> podcast episodes. <laughs> that's so good. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's an element of quantity leading to quality too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure. And that part of it. Yeah. Um, but then you can go too far and just crank out mediocre stuff that doesn't really move the needle and doesn't really help anybody too so yeah it's a speaking of which thanks for being here today (laughs) (laughs) all right get out leave your mic (laughs) um i love this thing that you have on the on the on your website uh is is it do you say grats or is it g-i-r-a-t-s oh it's the dumbest acronym um yeah it's I think I just spell it out usually. Some people will say GI rats, which is even dumber. Um, somebody made a cartoon of these mice with like army uniforms and called them anyway. Oh, I was thinking but, like intestinal. <laughs> that's even worse. Oh, it's terrible. Um, but yeah, it's, it stands for get it right at the source, which is what you mentioned earlier. Um, it's just been 
this kind of mantra thing forever. And if you make it an acronym, it's G-I-R-A-T-S, which just looks stupid. And I put it on a T-shirt once. It was great. <laughs> Dumbest T-shirt. That's great. But I but I think for drummers, this this is everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so can we just pull that apart a little bit? Yeah. So the you know the the worst thing you can say in a studio, at least, is let's just fix it in the mix. Yeah. Because you can't, or you think, well, I've got, I've got trigger or some other sample replacement. So, just smack your drums and then I'll replace them later with samples. And that's just, yes, you can do that. Yes, people do. But I love. I mean, these are drums, and let's hit them hard and put mics on them and make them sound good. So, I'm a big fan. I've, I can honestly say, I don't, I've, I don't think there's a project I've put out where I've replaced a drum, because um, I just I like the challenge. But yeah, I can't think okay i bought this really cool analog plug-in that's going to make my kick drum sound amazing so let me just throw a mic down there and it'll sound amazing later um, because that always comes back to bite you mm. you find yourself wrestling with plug-in after plug-in to try to resurrect this dead kick drum when if you just spent some more time and maybe it was another hour moving the mics changing the mics changing the, all that stuff it's annoying and it's work yeah um, but it's i mean i would i can't put a number on it but i would say for every minute you spend getting it right at the source you've got to save yourself at least 30 minutes to an hour of trying to fix it later well i mean and uh, you know people say this song is two and a half minutes long or mm -hmm. three and a half minutes long can we just do another take right and get it right as opposed mm -hmm. to spending yeah a half an hour trying to like move this section around like mm -hmm. So that that it, it kind of uh, I, I I had a kick drum replacement I, I I did like I had the performance I wanted I was kind of up against the clock and mm -hmm. there was like a, every time just this four on the floor thing and mm -hmm. like every time I came off the 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 kick the pedal was tapping it again so mm -hmm. I was getting this but boom but yeah. boom but boom yeah and I wanted but but mm -hmm. but and I'm like oh no and it was just on the in the mic in kick mm -hmm. and I was like well what if I just do this quick thing and logic and quick and and i found it and it's like okay that works and mm -hmm. that you know kind of fit it in in a timeline yeah but i feel like what we're trying to accomplish here is create something unique performance wise mm -hmm. tonally mm -hmm. that the client can't access on their computer uh-huh yeah yeah like i love the idea of i remember Years ago, so are you familiar with Dave Pensato, big mix engineer out of New York or L.A. or okay. He's got Pensato's Places, his YouTube channel. He interviews <coughs> all these famous producers and engineers and musicians, and he's like a big name mix guy. Okay. He's mixed. Name name it. He's mixed it. Mm -hmm. um, and you would watch these videos from years ago of him mixing something, and you say, well, the tracks already sound great, so like, show me how to mix crappy-sounding tracks. And that was kind of the narrative in your head. Right. And I've realized over the years that's – I missed the point entirely. It's not show me how to mix crappy tracks. It's rewind that. Show me how to get good tracks to start that don't need a lot of work in mixing. Yeah. So that like when I pull up, like I've had people tell me in like mixing classes that I do, when I give them my tracks, they'll say, well, these already sound good when I just bring them in and push up the faders. And they're saying it as if it's a bad thing. And I'm like, no, that's, that's the whole point. Like that's the thing I've been trying to pound into your brain for 10 years is if you get the track sounding really great, then mixing becomes this joyful, fun experience of just manipulating and massaging the sounds mm -hmm. versus trying to fix a bunch of, you know, polish a bunch of turds and get them to sound halfway decent. 
Is it helpful to kind of go through just briefly and talk about snare drum, kick drum, toms, overhead? Mm-hmm. Sure. So snare drum. What about it? As far as getting... <laughs> it's how many the one do you that have? makes the loud sound. I don't have any, sadly. <laughs> You're over there with your plethora of snare drums. Um, so for me, snare and toms, one thing that I, that I got from Tim Horsley was uh-huh. I always, whenever I can, try to have the mic about a hand's width away from the head. Oh, okay. So it's not right down on the rim, yeah. picking up on the ring. And it also gives it some time for that sound to develop just a little bit. It gets a little bit bigger tone-ish. Yeah. Um, and then Tom's kind of the same way. When they're right on the rim, they get all the ring. And then up and a little bit over the over the rim, pointed more towards the center, gets that bigger, beefier. Right, right, right. Which I love, big, beefier. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Is that what you're asking about? Pretty much. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And I think there's times when we're setting up for gigs and or a session and you see this this the engineer and mm-hmm. I'm watching now and being, you know, trying <laughs> yeah. like wh- how far is this and it's fascinating how many different ways my snare drum gets mic'd. Yeah. And yeah. you know, from the side, you know, almost to the side, almost yep. level, mm-hmm. uh pointing straight down, uh, you know, it, there's been times when you know somebody will take a uh, say like for a, fit, a 57 and and it's just pointing almost straight down at at the rim uh-huh. and I'm like I I I know I'm not gonna like that when it comes to my <laughs> yeah I can already tell so when he's not looking I'm like pointing it back <laughs> yeah and, but it's but it is interesting that you say that because the, the snare drum it, it's it's a different thing than a tom where mm-hmm. the tom I've been doing that more where I've got my uh, microphone pointing more up up and over and down almost. Like if it was a gun, it was pointing at the middle of yeah. the head, the uh-huh. the nodal point yep. where the fundamental is the strongest mm-hmm. of that. Snare drum different, like mm-hmm. you know, just we want that that crack that. Mm-hmm. What did you say? That cat and the ah. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how about uh, so about the boom the, the yeah. kick drum? Kick drum. I mean, kick drum's the nemesis, right? Um, mm. As much as I would love to say one mic gets it done, it almost it almost seems like two is almost always yeah yeah for the sure. better option if like if you can. Um, but for me, kick drum is a complete guessing game. It's put it somewhere because whoever's playing. Like I, I heard this story. Uh, there was a festival, and they had to switch from they had one band and another band coming up right after. Yeah, and. They didn't have time to do really anything. So their first band in the kick drum was flat and like something was broken. Like it wasn't picking up anything. They're like, the mic must have fallen off or come disconnected, mm-hmm. something. But they didn't have time to fix it before the second band. Second band comes on, kick drum sounds amazing. Yeah. It was literally just the player. Yeah. Nothing changed. Yeah. Just the way his foot was on that pedal and the way he hit it changed the tone. So that being said, sit 10 guys in front of the same kick drum, you're going to yep. get 10 different sounds. So like, I never go in saying this is the ultimate placement for this kick drum. It's like I'm going to start here, yeah, and listen, and we're going to repeat that process until we find a spot that feels right. Tommy Harden, mm-hmm. whose episode came out today while oh, we're cool. interviewing yeah. this, or while we're recording our interview, he talked about when he took over a session. The second half, it was like somebody was doing a ten to two house mm-hmm. kit. He ran in; they had to go. He came in for the two to six sat down behind the same kit, started playing. The engineer ran and said, what are you doing? He goes, I'm playing the drums. 
no, seriously, what are you doing? Those sound amazing. They sound better than they did earlier. Yeah. He's like, I'm just doing my thing. His uh-huh. touch and tone yeah. was drawing that kid out. Yeah. Not that the guy before him was any less of a player. His mm-hmm. approach just worked in that situation. Mm-hmm. He, he wanted to clarify it. Now, the other thing is my co-host interviewed somebody who does a lot of home recording, and mm-hmm. he goes, I wouldn't say that I'm a great engineer, he says, but I'm a great engineer at engineering myself. Mm-hmm. I know how to engineer mm-hmm. myself. And this is who we're talking to right now. We're talking to, like, for the most part, is like drummers that are engineering themselves. Mm-hmm. I know, again, I know how I play. I know how my drums are, but also know what I like to hear. Yeah. Uh, you know, based on, well, based on what I want to hear and based on my abilities, my limitations, yep. and things like that. I offered my studio space to a friend who wanted to record some drums. He's a great drummer. Mm-hmm. And I was like, please come to the house. It yeah. would be so fun to not play drums and just engineer. Uh-huh. And, and what a trip that would be mm-hmm. to do that, you know. Um, two mics you mentioned on the kick drum. Uh-huh. So we're cl- clarifying. Kick in, kick out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's the, f- I don't know if you talked about this with Tim Horsley back when you had him, but he's in the perpetual forever trying to find the perfect combination of those two. Because the kick out has this weird way it interacts with the waveform. If you mm-hmm. zoom in on a kick out mic, it's like the waveform goes up, comes down, and then like decides not to come down and goes up again. Like it's this weird thing. I don't know if it's just the capsule being having all that sound come at it, but either either two or a kick in and then like some sort of a sub kick. Yeah, yeah. So oh, I'm using a kick in and then a sub, mm-hmm. a Solomon sub. Yeah, and those are my two. Solomon, that's the one I have. Okay, yeah. I love it. It's solid because then it's just there's your low end. Let's just make sure that we can get thump now for sure. Because that's yeah. the big thing. When I have to use one mic, I'm either going to get low end or I'm going to get snap, and I don't feel like I almost can ever get both. Yes. At least not. At least somebody has to sit the bench a little bit at least because I either get just enough snap and not quite enough low end or vice versa. But with the sub kick, then I can just focus on the snap and the the woof. Which so like if you if you don't have like a Solomon or uh-huh. one of the old Yamaha subs, and you're using, uh, is there is there a starting place for where the microphone goes in, where the microphone is out, mm-hmm. how far, what 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 kind? So I always like I never like it when the kick. Which one's the back head? Is that the resonant head. Sure, the one in front, the one that you're, so you're hitting, the batter head is the one you're hitting, and then there's the resonant head in front. I've only occasionally had a resonant head that doesn't have a hole in it, Mm -hmm. and that's always challenging. Yeah. Um, So yeah, if there's a hole, it's usually, I start there inside the drum a little bit, and that's my starting point, and then I may move way in, I may Mm, come all the way out, based on what we hear. So for me, it's this process when I record almost anything is set it up, record it, stop, listen back on speakers. What do we like? What do we not like? And then adjust and do that process over and over again, um, especially with drums, because I like even if I've got headphones, I can't really hear what's happening. Um, I know, like I keep talking about Tim. I know he uses yeah. in ears and gun muffles, so he can really hear what's happening on the mic without hearing the drums in the room. Right, I get that. But like in my studio, I've just got regular old headphones. When he was tracking a few weeks ago, like I'm not hearing anything until we stop and listen back. So in the room, it might sound amazing, but I don't know what the recording sounds like unless I stop and listen Mm -hmm, back. mm -hmm. That seems like such a simple common sense thing, but it's easy to say, oh, it sounds great. And then you come back when the drummer has left and you realize, oh, none of these, when you're just listening on the recording, sound all that great. 
but they sounded cool in the room when there was all this volume happening. Yeah. And it is interesting because like some headphones, it's it's hard to know, like, how are they EQ'd? You yeah. know, it's like, mm-hmm. what if you don't have a pair of $300 microphones, you know, headphones right. or yeah. something like that. I had an old set of Shure E5s mm-hmm. that were not EQ'd at all, had great isolation. Uh, the, the, the cable was a little funky. It wasn't reliable enough to take out on live gigs or yeah. whatever, but I had it. It was great in my big room because mm-hmm. it was, it, it kind of kept the volume under control with that. And I knew what I was getting yeah. straight to the source. Yeah. Then our new dog chewed him up. Uh, so I'm kind of back at square one. <laughs> That's a sad story. But you're you're talking about using the the, the speakers to kind of get you. Well, because that's where, as an engineer, that's like if I'm producing this, that's where I'm going to be mixing it, right? Yeah. So I want to hear what it sounds like coming out of those speakers, which means I've got to mute the mic so I don't get feedback in the room, like that whole you know thing. Mm-hmm. But and it's annoying to have to constantly be taking off your headphones, but it's just it's a part of the process that I've got to have. Mm-hmm. So I know, okay, this is actually what it sounds like recorded. It's like, hey, shut up, stop playing for a second, let me listen to the recording. Mm-hmm. Okay mental notes let's make a few changes Mm -hmm. um because it just especially with drums more than more than anything drums and electric guitars like when it's just a loud thing in the room i have no clue what's getting recorded until i stop and listen back Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and i like the loud in the room obviously there's lots of great things about playing a amp cranked i just need to stop and listen back if i'm going to know what's happening so i feel good about spending the next three hours pounding out power chords knowing that the recording is going to sound pretty great Right, and there's so many variables with oh, yeah. you know, the, the the style of music you're playing. You know, what what, what all this mm-hmm. stuff. I want to I want to keep going on on some of the the tech stuff, but but while but one of the questions or one of the things I wanted to discuss was Tim Horsley. Yeah. So, a common question I like to ask people is, uh, drummers that I interview, uh-huh. what's the most common compliment that you hear about your playing? <laughs> yeah. You know. And, you know, it, it falls in a couple different categories, mm-hmm. but it, it kind of, like, drives a point home about why this player is in demand. Mm-hmm. But what is it about Tim's playing that you appreciate That's and that question. you always that you that you like you know he's your he's your dude yeah he's my dude I and mean, part of it is when i moved back to nashville he's the first drummer i worked with mm-hmm. he was my brother-in-law knew him and so we just pl- we had played together at church yeah. and he was you know the rotation of drummers you could all you always knew when tim was playing at church because one he just hit really hard mm-hmm. um the poor snare just got life beat out of it in the best way. Um, but then getting in the studios with him, one, he thinks like a musician and an engineer, which is really cool. Like he's, he's as nerdy, if not more about <laughs> the phase and the, all that stuff. Um, but he's also just, his timing is annoyingly great. <laughs> um, and to the point, like I remember early on producing stuff that he'd play on and I'm thinking in my head as he's tracking just to like a scratch guitar, man, I wish he would do more stuff. Like he's playing too straight. Mm. Fast forward once everything's in and his part's perfect. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he's he's anticipating uh-huh. the production, yeah. Right, which is a big deal. Because like, if you do a lot of, if you're not doing live tracking with a full band, you've it sucks to be the drummer a <laughs> lot of times. Because you get an, uh, an out-of-time guitar and an out-of-tune vocal, play to this, imagine there's a band later. Yeah. Um, that's a hard spot to be in. Um, so he... I would have wanted it way busier a lot of times. Yeah. But he can kind of foresee 
what it's going to need. I've heard that. I've heard that before. I, there was a keyboard player I interviewed a long time ago and talked about working with Abe Laboreal Jr. Mm-hmm. And he said it was so fascinating to watch him anticipate what was going to happen down the line mm-hmm. in the studio, whether it's added percussion, just from the drumming standpoint of what he wanted to do. So knowing that, that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the other thing about Tim, I before long before I started the podcast, I, I'd seen Tim play live. I've seen him, you know, in person and on TV, mm-hmm. and heard his stuff, and and just his uh, what you saw is what you heard uh-huh. in his approach as a player. The pocket was super deep, mm-hmm. and I'm like, man, this, and he was getting some great sounds mm-hmm. out of just. He's just just a great, yeah, and a, and a great dude. And uh, what was cool with Tim too was open to like wanting to be produced. Yes, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, to- yeah, totally. Like wanting, like wanting me to tell him what I was looking for. Not like, hey, play this, Phil. But hey, this is kind of the, what I was hoping to get out of you. Or we've had one song I was producing for another artist, and he was playing on. We probably tried eight different ways of playing the song. He's like, do you mean this? And he'd play it, and we'd say, no, that's not it. He's like, do you mean this? And, you know, you've probably been in those kind of mm-hmm, sessions. Mm-hmm. But it, there was that tension of, like, I don't want to say yes yet because it's not what it's not it. And once he got it, he totally understood and was completely in. You know what I mean? But always maintaining a good attitude yeah. or just this work attitude. Never right? like – I mean, he told me a story he may have told you of a fairly big producer, and he shows up for a session, and he's like, what do you want from me? And the guy's like, I don't know. You're the drummer. You figure it out. Exactly. And, like, well, no, I'm here to collaborate and to make it – what it needs to be not me over here showing off as a drummer which he totally could do yeah but instead he wants to do what's best for the song and that's, that's and i've heard both deal. sides sure. because because a, a buddy of mine who works with butch walker a lot mm-hmm. uh i don't think it was butch at the time but it was another maybe it was but it was some and uh he walked in and the guy was producing and engineering and wrangling the artist sure. all at the same time and uh my buddy walks into the control room uh, and he says uh hey man um I'm thinking about uh, putting ride cymbal and playing ride on the chorus. And the guy's like, what? What? He's yeah. like, yeah. I was just saying, I was thinking about, he goes, yeah, 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 whatever. Yeah, I mean, y- y- yeah. you're the drummer. That's, uh-huh. you're, I've got too many other things to worry <laughs> mm-hmm. about. So you you kind of have to read the room. Sure, absolutely. You know, and some people, they're like, no, we hired you to come in, do your thing, mm-hmm. and we're just going to stay out of your way sure. because that's why you're here. Mm-hmm. And other people are going to be like, we we don't play drums. You play drums. Here's what I'm thinking. Uh-huh. And they're going to say all these things that are so non-drum <laughs> terminology. <laughs> and you and you go, got it. <laughs> right. You mean this? Yeah. Uh-huh. And not be condescending. Right. And, and, and always remind yourself, even Eddie Bears is like, hey, when the track, when I'm, when I'm done recording, it's not mine. Right. It's theirs. Mm-hmm. You know, and that that at the time was a good lesson for me. Totally. You know, be like, they didn't do this to the track. They didn't do that. I mean, I hate it when I get mixes back and I'm like, where's the toms? Right. Yeah. Or why is that shaker so hot? What the hell? What is it with shaker? I don't know. (laughs) I feel like every other mix I hear, it's like, oh, someone's real proud of that shaker. I was talking to Tommy Harden about that yesterday. And he said, I think that certain frequencies what it was what he was saying it kind of makes sense to me when i'm like i mix something down to like as an example to send to somebody and mm-hmm. then i'll be like you know mix it down just 
bounce it out as an MP3 and hey, what do you think of this right. version of the song when we're passing back tracks? And then I'll be in the car and I'll be like, I wonder what that track sounds like. And I'll pull it up on my phone and like play it in the car. And I'm like, wow, those frequencies weren't in my speakers or on my headphones, but uh -huh. they're they're in the car now. Yeah. And oh. there's that there's that shaker. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder about that. Yeah. In the mixing, like maybe they didn't even mean to have the shaker mm -hmm. uh, at the tambourine that hot, but the mixing and the mastering ended up, those frequencies became mm -hmm. boom. Yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah, I mean, the whole car thing is like, the car is the bane of all of mix engineers' existence because you get it to sound good everywhere and then the car jacks it up. But what I've found, it's true for me and I think for a lot of people I talk with, they listen differently in the car. Like if you go listen to your favorite record in the car right now, you're probably not listening to as intently or as critically as you would to something you just produced, right? True. Like when I listen, you know, if I'm on the radio and something comes on, I don't, I'm not thinking, oh man, those cymbals are a little too washy. But they might be. But if I put my song in, suddenly I'm listening like that and it all sounds crappy in the car. Yeah. My song and their songs. So I have to kind of filter that out somehow. Of yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, it can point out obvious flaws in the mix, but also everything I play in this car sounds terrible. So if mine sounds terrible, it's probably fine. Yeah. But yeah, that's it's it's not a fun game to play. So Tim, mm -hmm. great time, patient, hard worker, <clears throat> yeah, tech guy, understands stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, he's yeah. a good dude. Yeah, one for of sure. my favorites. And 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 w when people go to your website, go to your see your videos, and your and any drummers that are like trying to find the things that you're talking about, uh -huh. it's Tim. Most, yeah, most like of the nine time. times out of ten. Yeah, yeah, because sure. mostly I'm using my own music. Um, yeah, and he's played on all but one. Yeah. project of mine. So great music too, man. Like you're you're a great singer. Thanks. And so it's 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 great. Like you were testing out different mic well you're talking about uh dynamic and condenser uh -huh. microphones and yeah and it's, let's let's try the, let's try a vocal thing and yeah. you're saying i'm like oh that's yeah of course yeah. right that sounds good Thanks. so i want i want to have some tracks in here well you, if, if you're able to sh if you're willing to share anything yeah. use a couple things like a few seconds of stuff yeah for I'll send you a, music i'll send you a folder that'd be great Condensers on toms. Love it. Yeah? Yeah. Specifically, I'm looking around to see if I, if they're here. I've got these. So when I was getting ready for a session with Tim at my place, because we had tracked at his place several times, I didn't have any tom mics. And so I was looking at the little Sennheiser Clippy guys because they're cute and mm -hmm. fairly cheap. But I, I, don't, I wanted to be able to adjust it more. And this guy, you familiar with Zen Pro Audio? No. It's just a, it's an online audio retailer. This guy named Warren is kind of the head guy there. And in their forums, he was talking all about these these M179s from CAD hmm. that are like 130 bucks or something like that. Little condensers with like a adjustable polar pattern and a built-in CAD. CAD. Yeah, 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 yeah. M179, and they're not they're not that pretty. They're they're fairly small. They're not huge. They're like mid diaphragm condensers. But man. On toms, you put them in like the hypercardioid mode, so they're pretty directional. Mm -hmm. They're not getting a lot of symbols, 
and then you turn on the pad if you need it on the mic itself. Oh, gotcha. And they, they're super dark. Like, like, so if I put on my voice right now, you'd hear kind of a woofy, dark-sounding voice, which isn't great. And like guitars, they don't sound great. But man, on toms, yeah, so good. And I haven't found like tons of bleed. And I'm also usually recording Tim, who only has two toms, so we're not dealing with yeah. 18 toms. But, but yeah. at the same time, because I think a lot of us think of the, the, the typical tom mics that a lot of people talk about, uh-huh. like the Sennheisers, yeah. or you know, even if, if you're just starting out, you just throw a couple 57s, just yeah. the, the stuff that you can get done with totally. this. So we're getting a little bit into the weeds here outside. I, I have a couple 421s that I yep. use that have, that, that have been great. Mm-hmm. But I worked at a at a, uh, a studio last year, and they had some Shure condensers uh-huh. with just the little the, the bendable thing, and yep. it had the little cable that went off, and and uh, gosh, they sounded huge. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I was like, "What are those mics?" Was, well, those are in the bass players, like those condensers. Like, what? I, I how did I not know this? Yeah, it doesn't doesn't seem intuitive, but I've yeah, had good results. Yeah. Would that be your go-to, or I mean, it has been, um, yeah, for the last several drum sessions I've done over the years, um, it's been those. We did even um, I've taken them to like my buddies, like Steve Peffer. We've done some sessions with Tim and Steve and a couple other guys, session guys, and he was like, "Bring those, bring those mics. I want to try them." So like, I mean, the four twenty ones are great, but they're pretty pricey, as I recall. We're talking three three hundred ish yeah 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 so you can get a pair of these for about the same so it's yeah, just one I think of those i got two for 500 from a cost effective standpoint it's pretty great um so yeah just kind of i would i would have i would have given you a little sermon on why condensers wouldn't be good for toms on paper but but tried them and it was pretty awesome yeah yeah because they get a little more of that snap not that you don't get it with the 421 they're amazing right too. right it's more of the placement than anything but um i've dug it thus far Oftentimes I'm running like Tim, two toms, one up, one down. Yep. Uh, my road kit has two floor toms, mm-hmm. and so it's been fun to kind of throw that on there. So I'll use two four twenty ones, and then I for a third on a sixteen if I want that. If I'm, I'm if I'm running for drummers, you know, if I'm running, you know, two floor toms, that second floor tom, I want it to be just big and rock and uh-huh. flappy, almost like. A second kick drum, yep, you yep, know, borderline yep. totally. straddles the line between floor tom and so. I've used smaller diaphragmed kick drum microphones uh-huh. on the floor tom, yeah. And then I did that a couple times. I've done that as well with one up, one down. Mm-hmm. So, what's your thoughts on that? I feel like I've done that with with like the D one twelve. I think on yeah. kick drum when we didn't, we had something else on the kick. And use that on the on the low tom, and it's always worked pretty well. Because I, I almost when I mix, I'm treating that low tom like a kick drum, just about. Yeah. I kind of almost want it to sound. Kind of thinking about like the riff on Hero Foo Fighters, do 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 gaga do 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 do. It it almost to my like mm-hmm. not drummer head, it sounded like almost the same drum doing that, even though mm-hmm. it's going back and forth between the toms. And the, anyway, mm-hmm. that so I'm always wanting that tom to just be massive. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, a kick drum on that makes perfect sense to me. Cool, cool. Favorite kick drum mic right now, but oh, I'm thinking because I have I've got the D112 and I'm like, oh, yeah, all right. But I'm just ready for something else. I haven't used it in a while, but I like the the Sennheiser, the E602 and then the E902. Mm. It's the little 
almost looks like an SM7. Yeah, yeah. Kind of barrel shape. But it's, I've used it, it's been a while, but it just, it's already kind of EQ'd out. It sounds okay. terrible on anything else, like vocals, it's a terrible mic, but <laughs> um, it just ends up making the, I've, I've heard a demo of it where they put it on like a cardboard box and they hit it and it came through. It was like, that kind of sounds like kick drum. Yeah. Which maybe that's a terrible reason to get it, but. Yeah, it sounds like a Jackson Brown record. <laughs> that's right, yeah. I think they actually tracked some drums in the tour bus and the drummer put a cardboard <laughs> piece of cardboard up against the wall and a kick drum. And maybe I may be w- way off about that. I, my my urban legends are starting to get jumbled. I saw him at uh, Bridgestone. Yeah. About a month ago. Oh, okay. When he opened for James Taylor. Oh, yeah. His voice is so good. He sounds exactly like he did. 40 years ago. I love that. That's great Unreal. to hear. That's not common. No. I was ready for him to be just, oh, poor guy, but it was just spot on. I, I, and I'm a James Taylor prophet. Mm-hmm. I'm here to spread the word. Yeah. And he gets a little shaky. Yeah. As Paul McCartney does. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, we're getting there. Yeah. I love you, but you're... <laughs> I'm getting there too, man. Figure, figure. Um, you're still sweating just... That's fine. Right that's, it's just all the toxins are getting <laughs> that's out. That's why it's a podcast. <laughs> One of the things I talked with Mike Jackson about was the use of certain plugins with drums, uh-huh. like a compressor, um, uh, different preamps, different different things like that. Effects, not 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 just like the typical. You know, everyone knows what reverb is and. Sure how it, you could picture it in your mind, but sometimes uh, things like compression is, is just a little bit harder to mm-hmm. envision for unless you have a lot of experience with it. But one of the things that Mike brought up that was just so invaluable for me to hear is getting it right at the source, mm-hmm. getting that snare drum sound, miking it up so that when you play it back, you're like, yep, that's that drum. Mm-hmm. That's that drum in this room with that player. Mm-hmm. Got it, next. Yeah. But when you're using some of these things, it's like you're attaining a sound that we've grown accustomed to mm-hmm. in popular Western music yeah. for decades. Could you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, I think for me, I think about probably snare drum more than anything. Yeah. How, like, you come in here and you hit a snare and that's, yeah, that's like you said, that's the snare drum. But what I hear on records is that plus a whole crap load of compression. Usually that gives it that in your face, tight, little snappy, but still beefy like that. Just different sound like lead vocals too. Those are kind of the two I would say you can't really get a great lead vocal without pretty heavy amount of compression. Usually all things considered, you know what I mean? Um, I think that's the sound of snare rock snare drum at least is Mm -hmm. great snare plus squash it a little bit yeah um so i think that's just i think like you said it's from just decades of people doing that to the snare drums that's the sound that we right. want so yeah i would i totally agree with that there seems to be a trend i mean i grew up in the 90s mm-hmm. uh, i'm sorry well i grew that's how far as how old i am I, I forgot when i was where i grew up I grew up in the 80s where gated reverb snare drum oh, yeah. and drum machines were just being introduced mm-hmm. and I'm you know and I wasn't listening to a, I wasn't really into a lot of pop music mm-hmm. but it was there MTV was on so yeah I was watching it you mm-hmm. know I didn't really care for Tears for Fears or Eurythmics now I love them <laughs> yeah. but the sound I was hearing 
was something that I wasn't getting on my drums in my basement. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was 16, so whatever. But now I'm like, people are wanting the sound. Mm-hmm. I have to create that. How do we create that sound? How do we understand, you know, get to understand the differences between this great snare drum that we know how to tune. Mm-hmm. We know, you know, as drummers, as professional drummers, we know how to do our job yeah. as drummers. But now that we're adding this engineering, mm-hmm. part-time engineer onto right. our resume, how do we then take it to the next level to give the person... And and, and this is what's weird about talking about this because what people are asking for me are raw tracks. Right. Um, so I almost don't have to worry about that, mm-hmm. you know, but if I do want to dive deeper into the processing yeah. part of it, I do need to understand mm-hmm. how a compressor works, right? what it's doing to the snare drum, or what the sound of the modern expectation of drums is to a listener, a songwriter, a producer, yeah. and then how to attain that. Mm-hmm. I think one of the best places to start, and something I've been doing for a long time. Home Studio Corner? Exactly. Dot com. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening. Um, is to, I, I'll have a lot of songs that I'll mix where I won't, I maybe won't put a compressor on the kick drum or the snare drum. It'll just be on my drum bus. Okay. So Explain I'll get, what a drum bus is. So let's say we've got our kick, snare, toms, hi hat, overhead tracks. Yeah. And then I route all those to their own fader. Yep. Subgroup, if you want to call it, where everything's running through this fader. So I could put a single EQ on that bus, and that's going to EQ the whole kit, right? Mm-hmm. So I may do that. Um, and then, like, especially if it's just preliminary, we track the drums. I just want them to sound a little more mixed while we do the rest of the record. I'll do something usually just on the bus, the drum bus. So usually it's like I'll throw a compressor on there and a little bit of EQ. And it's amazing to me how much work that does to get both kick and snare Mm. and the way it interacts with the rooms and the overheads and the toms too to kind of create this cool vibe um one thing i remember when i went over to tim's house he was like hey come help me mix drums because he has clients kind of like you like some want raw tracks some would love a mixed yeah they don't know what to do with it yeah or he'll send them this great i've heard this before i've i've gotten the tracks that people hired tim to play on and they'll mix them and they'll just push the room mic all the way up because they love like oh man it's a real room mic but then you can't hear it's just all room mic, right? So it right. doesn't work for the song. Yeah. But um but I went over and he was saying, you know, I put this he had some API compressor thing on the drum bus. He's like, It just doesn't sound punchy, it just sounds kind of I just don't I don't have the sound I want. So I pulled up that compressor on the drum bus and the release was set to really fast. So the compressor has an attack and release setting. Mm-hmm. Sorry, the attack was set very fast on this compressor. So I said, just make that attack slower. And so he slow lowered the attack from you know one millisecond to like thirty milliseconds or mm-hmm, something. Mm-hmm. Suddenly the drums come to life. Yeah, the kick is punching through again. The snare is snapping through, but then you still get all that kind of good squishy compression. Mm-hmm. But you're not losing those front transients of kick, snare, and toms. Yeah, like you would with a faster compressor. Mm-hmm. I think that is probably the biggest thing: is put a compressor on your drum bus. Don't let the attack be too fast, and have the release be pretty quick too. Yeah. Um, and you'll learn a lot about what compression does to drums in general just by messing with that because you'll hear how it's affecting. You'll hear the pumping on the cymbals, and you'll hear a lot of those other artifacts. But yeah. I've, I've had plenty of songs where I get done with the mix, and I look back and say, oh, shoot, I forgot to put anything on the snare drum. 
because I just did it on the drum bus and it worked so well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and did, you and and all that comes back to the source was good material, so it yeah I didn't have to doctor it as much. But right, right. A lot of there's a lot of software that's coming along mm-hmm. with uh, interfaces now. I've got a, a Universal Audio yep. uh, Apollo and. My co-host has a Scarlet mm-hmm. thing, and so it's like you can throw these plugins in and use these, but yeah. and some of them you can print to tape. Absolutely. What's your thoughts on on that? I love that idea because it it really does let you kind of do what we were doing thirty years ago in studios. Yeah, where yeah. Let's put that to tape. Um, but on the flip side, I've jacked it up yeah. enough times. Yeah. Like I had a session here. I ran the snare through that channel strip that has EQ and compression, and I, I saw the compressor was hitting, and I just didn't stop to listen to just the snare track because it was I was stressed and I wanted to just get rolling with the session. Yeah, you know they all pack up and leave. I listen to the solo snare and it's completely ruined because the it was a fast attack and it was way too much compression, and it was just because I didn't stop and listen. Everything together sounded okay, and I moved forward. Dumb mistake. Um, so if I wasn't doing that, that wouldn't have happened, right? Mm-hmm. I know I wouldn't have clipped anything. I could do all that compression later. Um, that's the downside, right? You can capture something with a really cool mojo. Yeah, right. Or you can screw it up and can't change it after the fact. So I lean towards, a lot of times I lean towards just leaving it alone or being real careful to make sure I triple check it before right. starting doing takes because it was a very sad day for me. As the, uh, I'll be the guinea pig. Yeah. I have a question. So I have, I just bought a 1073 plug-in. Cool. And, you know, I've got that, and I've got four active pre's mm-hmm. on on my interface that I, I'm, before it goes to another, for everything else. So I've got kick, in, snare top, mm-hmm. and the two overheads are running. I have limited active pre's that, where sure. I've got, those kinds of things, the 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 characteristics yeah. that Universal Audio offers me, the reason I bought this thing in the mm-hmm. first place is to try and take advantage of the technology that mm-hmm. it, that it affords me. First of all, are those the good? Is that the good the good microphone? Are those the microphones I should be using? That's what I would do, yeah. And should I use the 1073s printed to tape, or should that? Is that just an more of an afterthought? Because it's not. I've, I've made mistakes with compressors before. Sure. I think with the 1073s, it's not as big of a, or or any type of preamp. Yeah, where it's you're just yeah. I think preamps is where you can get a lot. Like even preamps and even EQ, I feel less concerned about because oh yeah okay even EQ so EQ kind of falls into that category more so because it's more tone. You can hear okay what am I doing to that? It's just that compressor that can tends to jack things up for me sometimes yes. even though I like to use it but um, if I w- one thing I would do and you can do this and anybody who has a similar setup is record them raw and then spend some time just mixing them with those same plugins I assume you have them available mm-hmm. yep. or certain similar yeah. ones yeah. You'll, you'll find I love this setting on this I love this setting on that and maybe next time you track you print that same sort of setting with your drum so that way you're able to do it in more of a mixing environment then when you're tracking you kind of can trust that you made a good decision before uh-huh. I feel like it's a middle ground between the the client isn't asking for a stereo mix of all your drums sure. that they're going to pop into their session. They're asking for stems or, you know, each individual track. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm running anywhere between like 9 and 12. Yeah. And 
but you're just not giving them super raw tracks because that what they want mm-hmm. from you is they want your 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 sound, your tuning, your room, right? Your microphones, and if it's your plugins with, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit of EQ and stuff like that, then it's because again, people are hiring you to be to be the drummer to, as a performer and stuff like that, but they're also hiring you because it's like, well, he gets good sounds, right? And and this track requires gut. So, but still, when I get that from this guy, it's the, it's just it fits so well in my mixes. Right. I think I, I love to play a game with myself where, whatever I'm recording, I pretend like I'm not going to get to mix it, or that mm. I can't. I'm not allowed to mix it or mm-hmm, something. Mm-hmm. Kind of back to that get it right the source thing. Yeah. Um, so if I was doing drum tracks, like you're doing, I probably would. I'd probably tighten up that kick drum a little bit mm-hmm. and not even tell them, you know, like just, right. This is, this is more of what I want the raw mm-hmm. kick to be mm-hmm. cause they're going to not have to have any problems or like, I know Tim is big on, he'll find that, that ring in the snare. That's a little too much. And he'll go ahead and notch that out before he sends it off. Cause they, either they won't know how to do it. Yeah. And let's just make it easier. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That's the bigger thing is like, maybe just act like you don't trust them to get the job done. Oh God. Yeah. Well, and I'm so that starting won't... to trust less. Right. Right. Cause you just don't know. <laughs> like, cause especially if they can talk the game, but then their, their mixing skills aren't there. Um, so that, that doesn't apply to like the drum bus stuff. Um, but yeah, the individual channels getting them tightened up and almost sample sounding, you know, mm-hmm. I think can't hurt. Yeah. Um, how much should I care about the bottom snare mic? You know, it, if I don't have enough inputs, it'll be the first thing to go. But it saved me a few times. That one where I jacked mm-hmm. up the top snare mic, I had a bottom snare that kind of came to the rescue. Yeah. Because um, it had just enough for me to kind of make it work. I know 57 is oh. like just an industry standard for the top. Mm-hmm. you know it works and there's others that work well but i mean as far as the bottom say you don't have enough 57s for the yeah like i see people like with a couple different bottom snare mics i'm like what are you gonna do with that more than one yeah golly i mean i guess if you if you got it flaunt it um now i'm trying to think with tim we've yeah it's usually whatever mic is left over sometimes like a handheld mic from a gig you know that i don't use anymore just mm-hmm. something to capture it capture that um, that, that ch- yeah and yeah. It, and it gets some of the Sometimes you get this cool kick sound off of it too. Yeah. Depending if the phases are right, okay. where it beefs up the kick in kind of an interesting way. But mm-hmm. yeah, mostly it's just for that. All um, that snap. I just got a couple couple other quick things. Um, compressor, limiter, mm-hmm. normalizing. Mm-hmm. There seems to be some question about exactly what what they are yeah okay so we'll go in order from least offensive to most not really offensive but so normalizing is literally just volume Mm -hmm. so if you record something and it's peak so like in a digital system zero is max volume right yeah and it goes everything else is negative in relation to zero so if you record in your snare the loudest hit was negative six if you normalize that typically the way that works is it's just taking that and turning it up six until the loudest peak is right at clipping or just below Mm-hmm. that's all it is it's not doing anything to the sound other than just it's saying how far can i turn this up before it clips yeah and then compression like we've talked about it's it's does some volume control but f- for drums it's mostly about tone changing the dynamic yeah increasing the messing with the transient and then making the tail sound different like those types of things and then a limiter is just brick wall 
I push the snare up into this thing and it lets nothing through and it can be really cool. Yeah. If you got something where the snare's cutting through too much, a limiter. I don't use use it a ton for mixing. It's more a mastering thing. But um there have been situations where like this song is perfect, but he hits that snare a couple of times and it just jumps out across everything. Put a limiter there or a compressor with a really, really fast attack just to catch those loudest hits. Okay. It's a good for me it's more utility than tone at that point. Okay. And and you talk about like on the on a uh, like on a slider on a, it would in digital mm-hmm. the scale you know the loudest is zero. Mm-hmm. So when I'm getting when I'm adjusting my preamp and stuff like that, you know, sound checking what I'm doing that day, where do where where does that snare where I, where do I need to be hitting? So for me, I go super conservative because in a digital system, it sounds no better. If you get real close to clipping versus way down from clipping. Gotcha. On tape, you got bonus points for hitting it harder, right? It yes. sounded a little bit better. There was less noise, all that. Yes. Digital. Now, the preamps are different. Like, if you drive them a little hotter, like, you get different tones. But sure. as far as, like, the input going in to your DAW, your, your, your mm-hmm. I go for, like, maybe two-thirds of the way up. Wow. And that's it. Because you can always turn it up later. Do you, know, just, do you remember the digital. number roughly? Uh, I mean, I'm probably like negative 10. Interesting. Maybe. Uh-huh. I just want to look at it and be like, even if he goes ham and totally plays twice as loud as he's playing right now, I'm still not going to clip. Yeah. Because if you clip, you're done. Yeah. Anything else can be fixed or turned up, but a clipping, you're kind of, well, because digital clipping doesn't sound cool, right? <laughs> so there's not like, oh, that's a great sound you just made. Um <laughs> For torturing. I heard a buddy tell a story of like, if you were recording Jimi Hendrix play the greatest solo of all time, he's like, even if you had the wrong microphone, the one across the room turned on, and that's the one that was recording, even if all these things went wrong, as long as you didn't clip, you still captured something yeah, special. Yeah, yeah, But if you clip, game over. So yeah. there's no bonus points for going super loud. Gotcha. And a big thing people say is, well, it doesn't sound loud enough in my headphones, which probably isn't the case for drummers, but for other things. And I'll just say, turn your headphones up yeah. or turn your speakers up. A lot of people want to turn things up on the front end. Yeah, You get a lot better at just by turning things up on the back end Yeah, and not trying to push things into the... No, that's great. That's great. And, and another point you made about just like when you're trying to get a characteristic or process something, uh-huh. when you're pushing that signal stronger through a preamp or something that's giving a character, mm-hmm. that is going to affect the processing that that plugin is doing. Mm-hmm. More so than if the signal was quiet or right. weak. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's, you know, some plugins might want to see a louder signal, but also like, just like if we're talking like just an outboard preamp. Yeah. Usually if they're the kind that you can drive hard on the input, usually it'll have an output to bring can, the overall volume down. So you're not clipping the digital. Gotcha. Converter. So the input and output. So yeah, you can turn up. So the, and they both they both work depending on the situation. Mm-hmm. If it's like okay, this compressor is really working, but it's it, now it's too quiet. And you make up the gain. A you little make bit. up the gain, or it's it's really doing its thing, but oh, it's so loud. Mm-hmm. Let's 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 bring it down. Yeah. So now we have the character of the compressor, without it, without the snare drum being too loud. And yeah. In the mix. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Advice for drummers just getting started say not even home studio but uh-huh. just like want to start recording want to want to record with their friends want to try and get in the studio oh, that's a good one um i would say remember that it, it's really fun 
it's there's going to be a learning curve just like learning to play drums or guitar or anything else you stick with it it starts to get easier and become more fun and you can get a lot done like i'm sitting here looking at my mixer that has like 24 mic inputs i've never used all 24 mic inputs at once right mm-hmm. um you can get a little interface little personas interface for 100 bucks comes with studio one artists that's the software you need you can make some great records with just that yeah yes there's better stuff but who cares? Your first few records aren't going to be that great anyway. So just start. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't mean that to be like snarky, but like, sure. no, I haven't yet to meet someone who said my first record was the best thing I've ever done. Oh right? my gosh, yeah. Like, just what's start the, doing Would it. you let me hear the first thing you ever played on? Probably not, right? You probably played on something great your first no. time, you <laughs> jerk. <laughs> I but hate you know hearing I, mean. I hate, hate hearing stuff that I did when I was a kid because yeah. I'm like, wow, man, I was really into this. Pl- I don't even know if I could do that anymore. But no, I know, no, case in point, yeah. Right. Would I do that again? No, I wouldn't. Right. It's distasteful. But yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, so it, it just just dive in and to make dive a bunch in. of mistakes. Dive record in. stuff, make music. I feel like when I went to school to learn proper recording, yeah. I didn't make any music for like pretty much all of college. Like the first couple years maybe I did, but then like when I was really getting into learning this stuff, I was like, well, now I have to finish learning before I make any more music. Mm-hmm. And it sucks because I would have probably made a lot of cool music during that time but i was like waiting to know everything to mm-hmm. do it perfectly yeah, yeah um yeah. so i would i would say just keep making music as you're learning and mm-hmm. then you have this like resume of i remember i made that record in that house with that crappy gear and that dumb guitar and then that record i remember that's after i got that guitar and was better at doing you know what i mean like it becomes this almost like this what's the word i'm looking for like a time capsule of, well there's that's that the kind also, of music but- i was capable of making at that point in my life but man, there's no there's no better teacher than just experience, yeah, and absolutely. you know it's like you can't you, you just can't like keep it under wraps for right. so long and stay in the practice room or not record. It's like just freaking do uh-huh. it, man. Yeah, let's just get and it's not going to be perfect, but it's never going to be perfect until it's it, you'll get. I think you'll get there faster, but you know. Have you read that book, The Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell? I uh, know I haven't. It's it's the one that talks about the twenty thousand hour rule, yeah, or yeah, ten thousand yeah. hour rule. But one thing it talks about is this class that was is a pottery class divided into two groups. One group was told you have all semester to make one piece, yeah, and you're going to be graded on how good that piece is. The other group was told you're going to be graded on how many pounds of pottery you make. Wow! And the group that had all semester to make it perfect versus the group that just made a bunch of stuff. The bunch of stuff group made better pottery by the end, of course, than the ones who had a whole semester to do that one perfect yeah, pot. Yeah, which yeah. seems like common sense, but at the same time, we kind of fall into that trap of I'm going to work on this. I mean, what was the was it Guns N' Roses that did like the 19 year album they started in like 2000 oh and didn't yeah, finish right, till? Yeah, yeah, and I don't remember anyone talking about how great the album was because they put so much time into it. So anyway, yeah, no, no, that's you, a soapbox I could stand on. Right, for right, right. Uh, advice any advice for seasoned drummers professionals oh man i don't you say that and i feel myself kind of shrinking my Mm -hmm. chair Mm because i don't feel like i have anything to say to you other than if you ever think get a haircut get a haircut (laughs) clean your room um i would say like i'm fascinated by the people i know and especially guys that i get to know really well who are very successful and who are still just as insecure as the rest of us Mm. And like that's just a very normal mm-hmm. part of existence. But if you get it, if you're into the recording thing, I think there are people out there, like my audience, who would just love to have you play on their stuff. Mm. Like if that's something you think would be fun, but you're thinking who would want me to? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think there's enough people doing that yet. Um, and there's there's a place for you to just. I mean, I, I there's a guy. 
he lives in Australia. He emailed me and said, hey, how do you program Easy Drummer? Can mm-hmm. you teach me? Mm-hmm. And I said, how about this? Spend 150 bucks or whatever and go get Tim to play on this. Yeah. Send him your tracks. Send him an MP3. Yeah. You don't have to give him any instruction. I promise you'll like that better than whatever you were going to do with Easy Drummer. And he wrote back, like, it was a world-changing thing for him. Yes. He had never thought of that. And yes, it's going to cost more over, you know, you buy Easy Drummer once, but... Oh, but the time. Oh, the time. And then the yeah. the fact that, like, you're going to make sure this song is good enough before you send it off to someone to record, because you're investing some money into that. You're going to get... Because even if the samples are great, you don't know how to program like a drummer. I remember programming drums, and I had the drummer hitting three crashes and the hi-hat and the snare and a tom at the same time. It's like, hey, not possible, dummy. Um, <laughs> and you're not going to come up with parts. Like All of my fills are going to be do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Yay. Whereas he's going to play something musical. So anyway, this guy, he went on to like hire like a saxophone player in Great Britain and vocalist right, right. all over the world because he realized this is just a really cool, mm-hmm. fun thing to do. So I would say make yourself available if that's something you want to do. I think people would really value it. Right, 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 for sure. And, and that experience that we all get, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I first started uh, recording more at home getting and wanting to get serious about it, I reached out to some songwriter friends and said, do you have like one or two things that need drums? Yeah. And just, can you just send them to me and let me work on, work on it, work on it. So I have something to practice Absolutely. so that when a paid client calls me for one song, I knock it out of the park. So they send me a whole record mm-hmm. or two records worth yeah. of stuff to do. So I don't make that same mistake. And if you, when you get outside of like the professional musician world, you get these weekend warrior guys, they're going to be blown away. Mm-hmm. period mm-hmm. even if you're like oh that wasn't my best stuff or oh i don't have the best preamps they're, they're the kind of clients who say thanks yeah here's your check yeah like they're not going to be like oh could you adjust the you know they're just no they're just tickled p- that it's not another easy drummer loop i i, I dude that's that's so great i'm i'm, I'm glad that question uh, inspired that answer because that is if you if you're so in, involved in in working as a professional in a place like Nashville, it's mm-hmm. overwhelming. You're just like, oh, I, and again, it, it ties into what you were saying. It's like, well, I'm not really ready yet. Yeah. My tones, and it's like, no, there's a place to work. There is uh-huh. a place to, there, there's clients out there that would just be super stoked to have what you provide and then learn from it and mm-hmm. grow from it. I mm-hmm. mean, gosh, you know, uh, talking to Tommy Harden yesterday, he, he's not the Tommy Harden today just uh, he, he wasn't that way when he first started he had to work his way the learning curve he he said the learning curve is huge mm-hmm. so find ways to give yourself those that experience yeah yeah i love that man yeah it's fun yeah. Yeah, it's it's fun man. that's i've seen both sides of that and i've seen like people in my home studio corner world hiring tim to play on stuff and mm-hmm. just just and seeing it come full circle where I'll, a song will come back to me to mix and like, wait, who played drums on? That's Tim on the drums. Like, it's, yeah, you yeah, know, it's yeah, just this yeah. fun. But yeah, there's there's a whole world of people that that's awesome that need your drumming. Joe Gilder, podcast voice from heaven, love it. I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Homestudiocorner.com. We'll have links where yeah. people can find you. But man, I, I we we talked about this what like two and a half years ago, but Gosh. I think the timing. Is perfect now Good. to speak and to share this knowledge with our community. Um, I so appreciate 
uh, you doing this yeah. today. And if, if y'all have questions for me, feel free. Um, there's a contact page on my website. It just comes to my inbox. So feel free to get in touch if I can help. Or if you just have, if you have something you think is a dumb question, just send it. I've heard it already. And send it I to won't me. call you. Send it to Matt. <laughs> he'll call you dumb. I'm at, then I'm at Joe me. Gilder at... <laughs> No, dude, thank you so much. Absolutely. My conversation with Joe Gilder and his Home Studio Corner. Again, check out homestudiocorner.com. Go to his YouTube page, and you can find his podcast at Home Studio Corner as well. Come back next week for our returning champion, that is Dave Elich. He comes back uh, to speak to both Zach and I for the second time. The last time we had him on was almost a year ago, where it was just uh, myself speaking with him, but... Zach and I have had the opportunity to both take some lessons from Dave, uh, spend some time on his teaching course, and Dave is getting ready to launch his version three of his teaching course. Uh, Just a side note about that. When you pay for the full teaching course, any updates that he puts on there are completely free. Once you've paid for his course, all the updates are are yours to learn from. So I know I'm excited to see the over two hours of new content that he is introducing. So Zach and I speak to him about that new content and some uh, things that we both have learned from him over the last year. So uh, stay tuned next week again for Dave Elich as our guest. But for now, everyone, thanks so much for listening. Stay safe, and I hope to see you around. Bye-bye.